To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Okay, our questions today are about a child who seems to give up really easily on tasks and a toddler who seems concerned with her own sense of mortality. So I'm going to get right to the first question from Kaylee Ann. And she wrote, hi, my son is four, almost five. He's a sweet boy, caring and observant. The major challenge he has right now, and school has mentioned this as well, is that when confronted with a problem, the stack of blocks he built keeps falling or he can't climb up the PlayStation at the park or barely even tries. He will get very upset and emotional. He blocks and focuses on the negative and can't pass through this to see the other options or solutions. I've tried to help him or leave him be. Either way, it's very hard to get him to calm down and push himself to overcome it. He gets angry at me because I don't help him. He pretends to try to find a solution, but he actually is not. I tried taking a moment with him and looking at the situation, but he becomes very dependent on me. What can I do to support him? We're very stuck on this issue. I think it's important to get through it in a positive way. Let me know. I really appreciate the help. Kaylee Ann. So there's two classes where some of the content really covers this specifically. The first class is temperament, and in particular, it's the section on the persistence trait. If you've seen the class, you know I cover nine traits of temperament. I talk about how we all naturally fall somewhere along the spectrum of each of these nine traits. While we can definitely help open up our child's abilities or propensities from one side of the spectrum or the other, and we can move them more towards the middle, we're likely never going to make a non-persistent child highly persistent. 
but we certainly can do some things to move him in that direction. So persistence is the likelihood of sticking with a task through completion. A less persistent child may have trouble finishing tasks. They may give up on toys or tasks that are too complicated or uninteresting. On the positive side though, these kids and people tend to multitask well. So here are some things that you can do to work with a child who's low in persistence. So in the class, I divided into four different sections, and I'm going to do that here. So with family and friends, you want to work on chores and activities together. You want to be and encourage other family members to be patient with this child. You want to offer to help complete a project such as building a fort, a train track, or a block city. You know, sitting there and working with them will help them through this process of continuing through that block that they may have. For school and learning, you want to find a program that encourages process art. Now, I know he's already in a school, and the school may already do this, but this is also for parents who notice they have a child low in persistence. If you are looking for a school, this is one of the things that really helps. Find a program that encourages process art, where experiencing the materials and the process is more important than making something specific. And this cannot just be with art, this can be with anything. A school that encourages the process of creating and building something, even with blocks, or the process of the play. What type of play are we doing? Who is involved? Who are the characters? What is the scenario? That imaginative play, it's open-ended, and so therefore it's not like a specific task that they have to complete. And this will help them open up and encourage them to continue to follow this through. Now, honestly, this is something that's important for all kids of any temperament to have this kind of opportunity, not just for kids who are low in persistence, but it's particularly helpful for those who are low in persistence to increase some of their ability to be a little more persistent in their activities and when they take on tasks and problem solving. Now, this next one is more for older kids. So if you have an older child, six or seven or beyond, this is what you can do for them. You want to set goals together, establish a timeline for completing each step as well as the final goal, and ask their teachers to encourage them to complete simple activities. In activities and leisure, you want to provide and encourage activities that do not have to be completed. And it sounds like they're already doing this, but things like blocks and Legos and dramatic props and play, just like I already talked about. These are the type of things that are open-ended. It isn't something they have to specifically do in a particular way. It will help him to play longer, stay engaged longer, and keep trying through the process. You want to provide quick and easy puzzles and activities and then give descriptive praise when he completes them. Descriptive praise is covered in depth in several classes, a couple of them being the classes on self-esteem, also focus on the positive, but for a quick, simple explanation, this is you describe the behavior and you label it. So you finished the whole puzzle by yourself. That was persistent. You went up two more steps on the ladder this week than last week. That was brave. This gives the child a feeling of accomplishment and encouragement, and it can help impress the importance of accomplishment so that over time, he'll learn to persist through longer tasks and more challenging tasks. You can play the crazy directions game. So this is giving silly instructions and then having your child complete them. You're gonna start with two to three step instructions at a time. You're gonna add more as your child improves. So such as touch your nose, spin in a circle, and run to the front door. Then touch your nose, spin in a circle, run to the front door, and touch it with your elbow. You can involve them in simple and fun cooking activities. 
because these are short term, they're things that they can do quickly, have some success, and they can do with you. And then you can give some positive feedback about the outcome and it's something that they can also enjoy eating what they created. Encourage short-term projects such such as short card games, small art projects, or a one-time class. In the areas of guidance and discipline, um, these are also for some older kids. So parents of kids in elementary school or beyond who have a child low in persistence, you want to use charts so that your child can see the progress as they complete their work, whether it's checking off the chores, checking off homework, like the math homework, check it off, language arts, check it off. Now, this is different than a reward chart. Reward charts are not recommended. I discussed this in further detail in the self-esteem class. I also have an old podcast about it. So if you search up rewards, you can likely find it that way, the old episode. Um, What you want to do is break down the chores into smaller chores or smaller tasks in the rules and instructions into smaller steps and give them one or two at a time. Then you can increase these over time as they're ready. You want to encourage and help your child try again when they're learning a new skill. You want to remind them, point out how they've gotten further this time than the last time, how they've improved, how they've gotten better. I'm thinking specifically of the park example here. If he climbs up one more rung on the ladder or one more rung on the monkey bars or any step further than the last time, you want to use the descriptive praise that I mentioned earlier. The other class that covers helping kids with this type of struggle is the class on growth mindset. Growth mindset is one where we believe that our intelligence and our success is fluid. It can improve with effort and knowledge, Effort brings accomplishment. It focuses on the journey. We value what we're doing. We're tackling problems. The journey is deeply meaningful, so the effort is validated. Failure means it's an opportunity to learn from our mistakes, and we work harder or differently the next time to have a different outcome. So you want to work with your child on building a growth mindset. So when we get back after the break, I'm going to talk about how to do that. Plus answer the question about helping a child who's asking about her own chances of death after having an experience of loss. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash 
parenting. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com slash parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com slash parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. Now that we're back after the break from our sponsor, here are some tips to get you started on helping children develop a growth mindset. Now, the first thing here is actually one I already talked about a couple times already, but I'm going to reiterate it. Use encouragement rather than praise. Praise is an expression of approval, while encouragement is a way of inspiring and stimulating. So this is where we describe the behavior and label it. You built a tower six blocks high. You stayed focused. You climbed three steps higher on the ladder than last week. That was so persistent. This lets the child know what you like to see. It helps them learn to focus on that trait, whether it's ambition, persistence, tenaciousness, kindness, etc., They internalize the trait and therefore it builds internal motivation to exhibit these traits. You also want to steer clear of reward systems. These also build external motivation. They do things for the reward rather than for the journey or the growth. They don't do it for the love of learning or solving the problem or pushing themselves harder. They do it for the reward. So you want to stay away from reward charts and from rewarding good behavior or rewarding them accomplishing something. You want to focus on the process, on their effort, how they get there rather than the outcome, the process of the climbing or the building rather than getting to the top or using all the blocks. So for more on teaching kids a growth mindset, learning how to work within and expand your child's temperament or supporting self-esteem, you can see the classes on the website at yourvillageonline.com. I have two to three minute samples of every single class that you also get to see what the full agenda of the classes covers. Okay, our next question. Our next question is from Alex. She wrote, hi, Erin. I want to start out by saying thank you for all the questions you've answered for me and answering others on the podcast as well. I find each episode useful and I love hearing about your own personal parenting adventures. You're definitely an inspiration with the way you set your children up for success in their individual ways. That being said, I'm once again seeking your advice. My three and a half year old has been having a lot of questions about death lately, and I'm worried that I'm completely traumatizing her. 
In July, we had to make a choice to euthanize our elderly dog. She was terminally ill, but we had decided to take her for the week up to the lake with us as a final trip. Halfway through the trip, it became apparent that the disease had progressed too much and she wasn't going to make it through the week and decided to take her to a nearby town to have her put down. We briefly explained to our daughter that we had to take the dog to the vet so they could help her die because her body wasn't able to be alive anymore. I was careful not to tell her the dog was sick or that she was going to sleep and we're not religious so I couldn't explain it in that way either. We told her that once she was dead, her body would go into the ground and help her grow a new life. We let her say goodbye to the dog, and she cried and said she was going to miss her. We then left her with my parents while my husband and I took the dog to the vet. Once we got back, our daughter immediately asked where Zoe was. We explained again that she had died and repeated what we had told her earlier. The questions continued for weeks, and we would always tell her the same thing. Or she would frequently say, I wish we could have kept Zoe. Why didn't we get to keep her? A few weeks later, we drove by a cemetery and my daughter pointed out the window and asked what it was. I explained that it was a place where people were buried after they died so that their bodies could grow new life. She was quiet for a minute and then said, Mommy, do you love me? I told her that I loved her very much. She then was quiet for another minute. Then through tears, she said, Will you keep me forever? She then asked, When will I die? Since then, she is constantly asking me about when she dies. She wants to know when she will die, if her toys will still be here when she dies. Why will I not keep her? She wants to know who will live in our house when we all die, and so on. It is on her mind several times a week. I've tried to be factual with her and tell her that she will not die until she's very old and she doesn't need to worry about dying, but that does not seem to alleviate her fears. So now I just tell her that she doesn't need to be worried about dying because she is a young, healthy girl. But since I have already told her that she someday will die, she always goes right back to, but when will I die? She makes comments all the time as if she's going to die tomorrow, and she seems convinced that I'm going to decide not to keep her one day, and that will mean she's dead. I'm at a complete loss on how to react to this. I feel that being too upfront with information was a mistake, but it seems too late to go back and change information since this is definitely something she's latched onto. Any advice on how to navigate this tricky topic and how to undo the damage I have done in past conversations? Okay, so I've talked about some of this before. This is a different question though, but I'm just as a reminder that for most kids, generally at three, kids think of death as a more temporary thing like a cartoon. So where they will spring back to life. Now, because Zoe hasn't returned, your daughter likely reasoned that she still must be somewhere, just not with you. And so she's grappling with trying to understand what happened to her, where she could be, what death is, etc. And why she's talking about you getting rid of her, that she dies and you're gonna, you're, she's going to be somewhere else. You want to keep assuring her that you love her very much and that you are absolutely keeping her. Try to answer the questions she asks with as much honesty, but without answering more than you need to. If you don't know an answer, it's okay to say so. Like, where do we go when we die? Why do dogs and people have to die? Sometimes little people have big, deep questions we don't always know how to answer right away. It's okay to take time to think and say so. That's a big question I don't really know the answer to. I'll need a little time to think about the best way to answer that for you. You want to listen to and accept her feelings just like you have been and empathize just like you have been doing, that you wish Zoe could have stayed with you too. It is unusual that she's asking about her own death. Most kids 
feel invincible, if anything. They don't see it as something personal to themselves, but it also gives some insight into her personality and how she may think deeper than a lot of children her age at this point. It also could have something to do with her reasoning that death is something different than it is, still trying to make sense of it, that Zoe is off visiting somewhere and just not with her family right now, that it was a choice rather than something inevitable. When she asks these questions, just be as reassuring as you can. Let her know that her body is so young and healthy that you expect she will live a very, very long time and she has nothing to worry about. Now, the other thing you can do is ask her some questions about it. What does she think death is? What does she think happened? Where does she think Zoe is? Now, I know you don't have a spiritual belief yourself, and that's okay. And you can just say, I don't really know what happens when we die. But it, you might be curious to see what she thinks if she sees Zoe as more alive somewhere in some way. Now, you want to be a little, you want to be really careful here because you don't want to lie and you don't want to say things like, you don't want to say something like kids never die. But you don't want to open up a can of worms by saying kids rarely die either. So it can be a bit of a tough area to negotiate. To navigate this language appropriately. So you just want to focus on that. You're so young, you're so healthy. It's going to be a really long time. Even your dad and I, we're going to be around for a really long time. We're young and healthy too. You have a great long life to live. So many things to look forward to. You know, talk to her about her growing up. She's going to go to school. She's going to grow up. She's going to have a career. She's maybe a family of her own, but so many things are going to happen in her life. So many exciting things that this is just so long, so far away. There's so much great things that are going to happen in between. If you feel like it's helpful to add, you can share about how Zoe was so old. And when living things get very old, their bodies do eventually wear out. If you feel like that's going to ratchet up her curiosity or anxiety around this, you don't need to go there. If you think it's helpful, do. It's also really good you didn't use the term sleep as this can confuse things then. Of course, you can't, that can be confusing. It makes kids afraid to fall asleep or wondering if somebody falls asleep if they're going to wake up, wondering if they will die too when they fall asleep. And you did a great job staying away from talking about her being sick or being ill because then somebody goes into the hospital with something that you know they're going to come out, she might worry about that. So you did a really great job navigating all that. I totally can connect with the aspect of not being religious because I have a varied background myself. I have atheist parents. I was allowed and expected to find the beliefs that resonated with me. I converted to a branch of Judaism where they teach that no one really knows what happens to us when we die. I've also always told my kids that they get to decide what resonates with them about matters of spirituality and that if they want to know what I think, they're welcome to ask. And then I do share my thoughts, but it's not something that I impress upon them or so that they need to think the same way that I do. Overall, it can make it harder for us to not have that go-to answer, but death is one of life's biggest mysteries and tougher questions and circumstances to grapple with, even for adults. So regardless of what belief systems one has, I don't, you know, it's really not easy for anyone to try to explain to kids what death is or help them through that grieving process. You can also check out a couple of books and see if you think they would help or a good fit for you and your family to read to her. The first one is called Lifetimes. A Beautiful Way to Explain Death to Children. The other one is called The Invisible String. So I hope this helps. I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your dog, Zoe. We definitely know what that's like here in our family with the loss of our dog, Lexi, last fall. And it's so hard seeing our kids suffer with it. I think that's the worst part. 
Again, if you want to see any of the 50 plus classes on positive discipline or the ones I've talked about today, self-esteem, temperament, growth mindset. Also, our new class is going to be coming out. We're getting really close to getting that finished up. So it'll probably come out next week on discipline tools for teens. Then the next set of classes is going to be about co-parenting for parents out there who are in the process of separating or have already separated and would like some guidance on that topic. That's the next set of classes that'll be coming out afterwards. And I'm also working on a new podcast episode. I have a pediatrician who is going to come on the show. At least we're working working on it. So hopefully we'll get this worked out to come on the show and talk about parents who might be struggling with the decision about sending their kids back to school or not if they have an option, some things to help keep their kids safe. So that will be a great conversation. I'm really excited. Hopefully she'll be on next week, if not within the next couple weeks. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.